What you want? We've got a mighty hard to listen, but it makes your rage glisten. Our voice is about the games, and you know we talk about the latest goings, more so than any other, and our mountain west matters. Well, will you? You listen to this podcast too. Just a side where German analyze some matches and kiss between the bridges. We do some good interviews. And you know, from Fresno all the way to Boise, from Logan down to Aston, they're calling out our name. Where will you? You listen to this podcast too. Welcome into the latest Mountain West Connection podcast, football edition. We're going to make it through the offseason. We've made it. I think. We're close. Jeremy Moss with Matt Kennerly. Previews are here. One of 12 is here, finally. We're starting the previews. Does this mean football is here, Matt? Yes? No? You know what? Here's what we can say. You know, we're getting into, you know, now that the semester is over pretty much everywhere, there's... You know, maybe a little bit of college baseball left, and we're here just in time for that real dearth of college athletics in a lot of places. So that's how I would look at it. And also, you're welcome. Yes, you're welcome. We are here. We are going to guide you through June when nothing happens, like Sam Lester's college baseball, which hopefully something happens within the league. July, yeah, 4th of July weekend, that's about it. Then camps start with week zero, the last week of July, so we're getting close and again, we're on Blog Talk Radio. Tune in. We're on YouTube when I get around to it some days. Some days I forget. It's okay. We're on um, Stitcher, um, iTunes, right? Did I say iTunes? Are we there too? Yeah? We want reviews. Five stars. Tell your friend. Tell four friends. It's not an MLM, but still tell four friends. And maybe tell them, those four friends, to tell four friends. But we're here. You guys spoke, and it's Boise State, our first team preview. I think it's kind of fitting because the Broncos, I mean, and you can feel free to disagree with me, of course, but are the Broncos at a crossroads coming into 2017? Expand further on what do you mean by crossroads? So I know that there's been a lot of consternation among Boise State fans over the fact that they haven't won a conference title in the last couple of years. They aren't necessarily the team's or the rather the Mountain West's best team anymore. I think on reputation they might still be the conference's flagship team. But, you know, it's obvious that the expectations there are higher than they are just about everywhere else in the group of five. And at least in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, they didn't meet that far. 
and in some respects didn't come close for a number of reasons. But to me, I feel like coming into 2017, you know, the last couple of years and this year, it's it's going to be less about Boise State and more about the fact that, and I'll come to this, you know, probably again and again as we keep going through these previews, the Mountain Division is tough. Very. And, yeah, and it might be the toughest division in the group of five. It would, I would say there was either that or the American West. And so I don't think that the fact that, you know, Boise went, you know, what was it, nine and three last year or 10 and, 10 and two, or I forget what Eight, the exact record was. 10 and three and technically were co-champs, tri-champs of the Mountain Division. And, and so for a lot, in a lot of places, that would be awesome. And in a place like Boise, there are some people out there who feel like that's a disaster. And I think that I can see both points of view. And, you know, we'll get into this more when we start talking about the schedule as well. But, you know, Boise State's probably as good as they have been in the last couple of years. And I know that I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but, you know, the narrative could be a lot different if bounces last year and in 2015 were a little bit different. And honestly, this is still probably the most talented team in the division on both sides of the ball. It's just that, you know, talent alone isn't going to help any team in the division run the table. And that's, I think, where you have to start. I, th- I would say a Mike Bobo would have some strong words for you, but you're not too far off on saying that they, they're up there for the most talented team in the conference. Yeah, because we'll, like we'll get through players they've lost and who left the program, but they like if it, we'll start we'll kind of start with going ease into it now the offense. Athlon, I don't know when you're listening to this, but we're doing this early May, so some of these will be pre-recorded. But this is middle of May, and Athlon's the only publication to release their all-conference teams, and you hear the hype about Josh Allen from Wyoming, but it's Brent Rippin who's named the number one team quarterback. And if you look went over what I read, it makes sense because two things: it's not an NFL list; it's for college. And production-wise, I think four out of the five major categories, Brett Rippin had the better season. The only difference, if I should have it up here, I think was total touchdowns. I think was it that where um, Allen had more? Yeah, the only difference, yeah, because Allen had twenty-eight TDs. That's the only category he beat Rippin in. Rippin had a better completion percentage. Half, almost half the interceptions, fifteen to eight, had more yards per game by about sixty. Overall, he even had more yard. Well, he played one fewer game and still had more than four hundred yards. Better yards per attempt, basically everything. Better QB rating, and so that makes sense. Like people are like, "Well, it's Josh Allen, NFL," but there's still potential with Allen. He's only had what fifteen career starts, and one was cut short after like four plays in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's that's where we started the quarterback he's there are, are issues with Brent Rippon but the offense yes they lose Thomas Spurback who's with who, si- who did sign a deal with the Bucks a three-year rookie deal you had Jeremy McNichols also down in Tampa basically everybody isn't Tanner Vallejo in Tampa Bay as well I believe it, that would not Bo- surprise me <laughs> I forget who yeah boys like- out there with a dirt cutter mm-hmm. yeah I so mean let's, start, Alan- let's you go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to ramble some more. We need to. We need, this, we, this is weird. This is a show we've we've been doing shows all off season, and now we're stumbling around. What's going on? 
Well, I was just going to say, you know, Allen, of course, is is justifiably, I think, getting NFL hype. But at least for this college football season, no quarterback in the conference, probably no player in the conference, is going to play a bigger factor for how things shake out all across the conference than Brett Rippon. Because if you kind of deep dive into the numbers, I think he's probably the most significant reason for the team's improvement last year. Like, not only did he improve a lot of those numbers that you mentioned a minute ago from 2015 to 2016, like he improved his touchdown to interception ratio. You know, he was, I mean, his completion percentage took a step back, but he was significantly better in yards per attempt. But even further than that, like if you go into Bill Connolly's five factors, for instance, Boise State on offense took a huge step back in regards to the average field position from 2015 to 2016. They lost about six yards, you know, every time they started to drive last year. But they were more explosive on offense. They were more efficient on offense. And they were in the top 20 as far as points per trip inside the 40. And I think that Brett Rippon had a lot to do with that. My biggest concern, which I think is, I feel like I'm repeating myself from about a year ago, is, you know, there are still those instances, and we've seen it in both of the years that he's been a starter, where sometimes when he's asked to do too much or when he's pressed to kind of carry everything on his shoulders, that's when the team really starts to suffer because there's a trend in both years where, you know, when he's, you know, in his wins, like he's super efficient. Like last year in the 10 games that they won, he averaged nearly 10 yards an attempt. He had 22 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. In the three games that he lost, though, you know, he threw for 30 more yards per game, but he also had a 2 to 3 touchdown to interception ratio. His completion percentage dropped by about 8 points. His yards per attempt dropped by about a yard and a half. And that, I think, is kind of a reflection of what we saw in his freshman year. So we talk about good Brett Ripon bad Brett Rippon you know how much he can eliminate bad Brett Rippon going into his junior year with two seasons worth of starts under his belt is going to be really significant for this team if it wants to win the division it's yeah it's true that he was really bad in some games last year he did get better in that overall it wasn't as extreme because when you look at the year before like that New Mexico lost three interceptions he had three interceptions versus Utah State where they got blown out this past year, the only game where he had the Air Force game where he 34% of his passes he completed. Baylor, he had to throw a ton. fifty. He did have a decent percentage, like over, almost two-thirds, but he was going 32 of 51. Two picks in that loss where he scored only 12 points, settling for field goals. And then even the BYU game, their defense kind of bailed, bailed them out a little bit because that was 28-27 win. He didn't look all that great despite having 440 yards. He had two interceptions. I, yeah, and I mean, even Washington, Washington, the second half was bad. I think he's your point's extremely valid that he has when he has bad games, they struggle. I just think he improved on that a little bit. But if Boise is going to, like you said, they're at a crossroads. If they're going to move beyond that, he can't have any of those games because to go undefeated, to have one loss, you have, to, you have to be really, really good to do that. And he needs to take the next step to be more efficient, not make errors, and not have games like Air Force or Washington State in the second half. 
Yeah, and to kind of back up that point, like talking about the comparison to Allen again for a second, like we know that Allen has a big arm, but let's not forget that the last two years it's been Brett Rippon that's led the conference in 30-plus yards pass plays. And it's not outside the realm of possibility that even with a, you know, a relatively new group of unproven receivers, which we'll get to in a minute, that he could do it again. I think he's really good, and I think that at least with regards to Athlon, and I'm assuming probably a lot of all a lot of other all conference lists that we're going to see in the weeks to come, he he deserves to be the first team all conference quarterback because he is that good. He has been that good. It's just a matter of taking that next step. Yeah, it's going. Yeah, it's going to be ripping probably eighty five percent on being the being the first team because it's like I said, we'll get to Wyoming later. We who knows when that'll happen. It, it decides upon you listeners to let us know what team you want to listen to next. But again, it like I said, it's college stats and Rippins had feel good numbers, it's clear cut. Rippin is better. Allen is very good. But the NFL guys are like, oh he's six three, two thirty five. Craig Bull, you'll hear this a million times. Craig Bull, North Dakota State, Carson Wentz, Fireball, all those sorts of buzzwords you'll hear throughout the year about growth spurts and oh he played four sports in high school and all that stuff but it doesn't matter it's ripping is going in for the mountain west season he's going to be the number one quarterback and he'll he'll still have to prove it a little a little bit as well because losing thomas spurback is a pretty big deal for this offense yes it is you have cedric wilson back but he had to have ankle surgery he should be good to go to start the season but Jake Rowe took a step back last year. He didn't play all that great. Everybody thought he'd be the best tight end, but you had Wyatt Dems from Utah State, who's better than him. And Rowe's considered like a comeback player of sorts through different publications. But when you look at what they've lost last year, just in uh, Spurbeck, he was the leading receiver in the conference. How are you going to replicate, or who's going to get more care or more receptions or yards? 80 receptions, 1,200 yards, 9 touchdowns. Cedric Wilson had 11 that, TDs and 11 and 1100 yards. How, who's going to replicate or not re- replicate, but make up that difference to have his offense be as potent? That's a lot of production to lose. That's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, if you're asking me. But if you're if you're feeling optimistic like I am, the fact that they have guys who can step in and potentially be productive, I think, is a very good sign. You know, obviously, guys like Sean Modster and I'm trying to remember the other guy's name, uh, A.J. Richardson, who you know played kind of sparingly in 2016, but they both made their presence felt at the spring game, which I think, even if you can't glean too much from the numbers, the fact that they were getting a lot of targets from the quarterbacks in that game, I think, bodes well. But even beyond that, you know, they have a lot of guys, I think, who are potentially really dynamic, you know, like Achillean Butler or trying to remember the other guy's name off the top of my head i might be rambling a little bit here the receivers yeah like alec don or that's tight end alec donna sean moster um alkaline butler are you thinking of yeah aj yeah, richardson I mean, yeah and even further down the depth chart they have some guys who could step up and contribute who have been in the system for a little while like david mckenzie or brock Barr. but you know i think they'll probably be fine they may not have one guy like Spurbeck who, you know, catches 1,500 yards, but it wouldn't surprise me if they had, you know, two guys who were somewhere in that 12 to 1,300-yard range again. 
I don't know who that'll be because looking at it's not just Spurbeck they're losing. Chaz Anderson and McNichols played key roles in the uh, receiving game. Mm-hmm. Those three guys combined for over 200 targets and 148 receptions. That's a lot. I'm just saying that that's a lot. So maybe you'll no, have and I a, totally maybe, Yeah. Maybe Jake Earl come back and have 45 catches this year. He had 10 last year. There's an issue. You have the other tight end and Alec uh, DeHannis there. player team passing the ball and they lose three of those guys yeah i mean i think that's probably true i'd you know but if you have guys on the inside all you're really asking for then is one more guy on the outside to kind of mm-hmm. be across from wilson and you know if they have if they don't have that guy i'm not sure that that's a big deal because i think that you know boise in the past has shown that they've been they've been able to be efficient even without that guy well, one player who could uh, make an impact, it was um, is Austin Austin Crotrell still on the team, right? Austin Crotrell. Yes, he is. He's listed as a starter, but only played special teams last year. He's listed as a starting wide receiver. I'm assuming I'm looking at our lads, and they're kind of piecing together. But he could be a guy that he didn't have much production last year at all. Maybe he'll be the number two guy because that's where he's positioned at here. They project a three wide receiver sets, which makes sense for Boise State for the overall what they usually do with Wilson, Cottrell, and uh, Butler. There's going to be, there's going to be, like I said, there's going to be a new face that steps up. We just don't know exactly who it'll be. I do expect Jake Rowe to have a better year than last year. They'll rely on him quite a bit, I'm thinking. But that's one of the big question marks in offense is their number two receiver. And let's just go to running back. They lose their third straight starting running back to the NFL. Jeremy McNichols in Tampa. Yeah, Jay Jai Pryor in Miami. And then he's Doug Martin's also there in Tampa Bay as well. And they're going to bring in Alexander Madison to be the starter, which wasn't a shock, but it's a brand new running back who has very little experience. It wasn't like McNichols the year before, where McNichols had before he before he excuse me, before he became the starter, he saw time on special teams. He ran the ball a little bit. He saw about like going back to his rookie year. Wasn't amazing, but he appeared in nine games, had only 20 attempts, but he had 15 receptions. So he was involved in nearly every game, whereas Addison, not quite as much. I think he had, let me get his exact numbers here, but wasn't he around 300 yards rushing, I believe? Uh, yeah, if you're looking at the numbers, he had he was at 67 carries for 328 yards. And four touchdowns. And while he wasn't quite as efficient as McNichols was, you know, obviously, you know, if you can get him to average five and a half yards per carry, that's going to be awesome. But even if he's not quite as explosive as McNichols was, I don't think that's necessarily a death sentence for this running attack because 
like McNichols, I think he's also I think he also possesses the capability to be really efficient pass catcher as well. So, you know, we just talked about how there's a lot of question marks at receiver. I think Madison could help alleviate that a little bit. And I mean, obviously, small sample size caveats apply, but he caught five of the six targets that he had last year, which I think is right in line with what McNichols did. Like, obviously, McNichols was kind of a volume pass catcher. He ended up with about 500 yards receiving and about 40 catches last year. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Madison equaled that production. And if that's the case, I think that's going to do a lot to kind of answer the concerns as to who's going to catch the ball. That's a pretty big praise there. He'll fill in what you know. You do know what, what McNichols did last year, right? Oh, I know. I'm just saying that's that's a pretty big hype to uh, bring on a first-time starter. Well, I'm not saying that he's going to be able to equal like his rushing production. But I think if he can at least come close to matching his receiving production, if you know if he's catching about 400 yards worth of balls and running for 12 or 1300 yards as a runner, you know I think that's going to be huge, considering that he's mostly, you know, kind of a relative unknown coming into this job. But then I think we would have said the same thing about McNichols two years ago. That was what I said a few years ago. People are saying, "Oh, they're going to be great. They're going to be this amazing team." And I kept saying, prop with you and whoever, me and Chris doing the show back then, before that, while we expect them to be fine, that is a huge hole to fill. And it's the same thing I'm going to say this year. Like, he had, like, losing Ajayi before, Jay Ajayi before, we knew McNichols was going to be the guy. And my still my big question. He's never started before, didn't have as, enough or as much experience that's still my big caveat this year, but Madison actually has more had more rushing yards compared to McNichols as a freshman because, like I said, McNichols had, let's see here, he had only 159 rushing yards, mm-hmm. whereas Madison, Addison had, like I said, over 300, a couple touchdowns. So that position probably will be fine, but it's still something to look out for because there's no guarantees when you finally get the spotlight to be, you're the guy, what are you going to do with it? Well, and there's a big if there, too, because if, at least as constructed right now, Boise State only has four running backs. So if something happens to Madison, you know, then I think there's a significant problem potentially on Boise State's hands because Ryan Wolpin was kind of the standout guy at the spring game, but he has never really seen any game action. And then behind him, you have a redshirt freshman in Robert Mahone and, you know, Jake Shaddix, who neither of those guys had a touch last year so while yes senior, there will be senior Ryan Wolpen as well senior. yeah so I mean there's going to be a lot on Madison's plate I think to be the guy and if something happens to him I think that there are serious questions legitimate questions about the depth behind him at that point yeah that's a big deal and then let's kind of go to the offensive line they lose three all-conference players from last year's team mm-hmm. there's a the reason why they went junior college to bring in uh, players to fill that role. I don't believe Rippon was sacked a ton, but you're losing that many starting offensive linemen. It's and a new running back, and uh, it's that's an issue. That is that could be an issue because you got offensive line losing multiple starters, lose McNichols, lose your top receiving unit. There's I maybe we're thinking we're enamored more by ripping that all he'll be fine but honestly who's he gonna throw the ball to i think who's gonna run the ball for him and who's gonna protect 
affect them. They lose their Travis, Ev- um, excuse me, Avril, Mario Yaku, and Steven Baggett, all three starting offensive linemen. They do have 24 career starts because you still have Matt Mason Hampton and Archie Lewis, which is great. And then a few other guys have a couple of starts here and there, like John Mac- uh, McCone. But it's it's still a thin unit. That's got to be a lot of concerns. I think it helps that Lewis and Hampton will anchor the two most important pieces of the offensive line. Lewis is going to protect Griffin's blindside, and Hampton, if you haven't been paying attention recently, was just recently named to the Remington Award watch list. As Who wasn't named to the Remington watch list? Yeah, I mean, I get that. But I mean, but he's, <laughs> I think those two will be fine. But it is going to be really interesting to see who steps up to replace those three guys you mentioned because they aren't lacking for options. They just don't know who's going to be those guys yet. Like there's, you know, Ezra Cleveland who had a pretty good spring game. You know, they have some junior college guys like Zach Troughton and um, I'm trying to remember the other guy's name. It escapes me at the moment. Oh, John Ujuku, who they brought in as you know, within their most recent recruiting class. And it wouldn't surprise me if both of those guys stepped into the interior of the offensive line. But Ruka's but, you know, got to gain some weight. He's only 285. Yeah. But so, but it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out because uh, it, I was just reading some notes from the spring game last month, and four of the starters who were projected to start in the fall didn't play because of injuries. And so, like, like the question I just had about Madison, you know, these guys might have to stay healthy. Otherwise, they're going to run into some question marks where they'll have options. And they have some pretty fairly regarded guys who've been three-star recruits in the past. But none of those guys have had any playing time. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, the career starts, 120 career starts are losing off the offensive line. I believe Bill Connolly said it was like 119. <laughs> Well, 41, 38, 40. Like that. Yes. It's, I'm looking at that right, right there, yeah. But 41, 38, 40. So, yes, that's technically 119. I apologize. But Nailed That's a lot of starts. That's a lot it to is. lose. And so, they're, like, like I said, junior college route, they do that to bring in some extra players for depth. They could be starting a redshirt freshman, which is a – that's always dicey. But I think the biggest thing for the offense here is that – they have the same offensive coordinator last year as they do this year. And it's been a while they could say that. And that is Zach Hill is back. And so that's a pretty big deal where they're not, not that there was a difference in change in offensive philosophy, but it's the same guy. There's a comfort level by for, for having that back with your team. Not worrying a different voice, maybe a few different things here and there. They want to go over and work with you on for your quarterback, running back, lineman, technique, or whatnot. Having the same guy is a big deal. Now, and Zach Hill have more confidence in himself because he's been the OC for the, coming into another year. And that could that's just as important, in my opinion, as getting the right starters because it's basically his call to who's going to be on the offensive line, who's going to be who's going to be that eventually be that number two receiver. He doesn't have to come into a spring or get promoted from within to be, be the OC race to kind of learn who these players are who we may not have been as extremely familiar with before. Yeah, Blaster Hill is with the team prior, but he was a position coach, not the OC. And just knowing the team better, he can make a much better choice about who's starting or who's not, who should get the ball, who should I target more often or tendencies. And that's going to help this team overall because 
Boise State's had issues retaining coaches because when you're a good team, your OCs and position coach get picked off by somebody else. But like I said, I think the fact that they have guys to choose from at just about all of those positions, save for running back, I think that kind of makes his life a lot easier. It certainly does. So we're going to go to the defense really quick, but where would you maybe rank this offense out of the Mountain West? Would you still put it in the top couple? Absolutely. Number one? I think they're definitely in the conversation, yeah. Okay. I, I, agree, I can agree with that. Because if you have the quarterback, you have the players usually. You're going to be fine. He'll make these guys look good. It's the other side of the ball that I think has bigger questions that need to be addressed. Defense! Who's going to tackle? That is an excellent question. So here's something. Um, I wanna... oh, can, can I just what do you got? before we get into this? So For sure. This is kind of going way back to the beginning of the year. But Bill Connolly had this article from January 31st where it was talking about returning production. And, you know, you can go into it. I'll, maybe we can link to it in the podcast article. But long story short, what I want to point out before we start talking about the defense individually or by positions is that Boise State ranks 112th in returning production on this side of the ball. Uh-oh. They're losing a lot of guys. And while they have some key pieces coming back, you know, I think that that's where the bigger questions lie is, you know, yes, they have David Moa on the uh, on the defensive line right there in the middle. But who's going to be lining up next to him? Or behind him, Tanner Vallejo's gone. Yeah. They lose, um, oh, you mentioned to me before the show, I, I spaced his name again. He's giving up uh, football again to go back to baseball full-time. Joe Martor. Um, yeah, Joe Martor. Yeah, he's with the Cubs before. You lose him. You lose uh, Sam McCastle, who's gone through, um, who played a big, pretty big role. Like I said, you also lose uh, Elliot Hoyt, defensive tackle. They have, they have some guys back with production, like the defensive line, but linebackers where it's the biggest issue, I think, with Darren Lee, Ben Weaver, and Vallejo gone, that's where there's going, and then two other ones like uh, Mar- Joe Martirano and uh, Cameron Miles also are gone. The front will be fine, but it's that linebacking group that's that's where the for me the biggest question mark is on this defense overall. So then, if we want to start with the linebackers, who do we think is the biggest loss in that group? Is it Ben Weaver or is it Darren Lee in the middle? I. I would argue Vallejo, but he was more, I think his, didn't have issues, but people more targeted on him and ran away from him or passed away from him. I would say Weaver because he had over 80 tackles last year, 10% on the team. But then again, you look at Lee, he got to behind line scrimmage much more frequently than anybody else mm-hmm. with nine TF or not nine, but a six and a half TFLs and a trio of sacks there. They're two different players because one one got to the quarterback and one made the plays when they got to that second level. So I would probably say Lee just because if you if you can get negative plays, you're doing a better job overall. And he had nine nine and a half of those or nine of those I would say. So then, how do we feel about the guys who are probably going to end up replacing them? They're experienced because you got Whitlock and uh, Vanderish, both upperclassmen. 
those guys, and they both played last year as well. They didn't have that many tackles overall, but those both of those guys got to the quarterback, which is a big deal, to almost the same clip as Lee did. I think they're going to be the guys stepping up right away, but it's the depth. Like they're returning only four guys, I believe. One, yeah, four guys who played in any games last year at linebacker. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's not many, that's not many. That's an issue. And then one had only two two games in a Joe Pro. I'm going to butcher his name. Pro, Pro, Provzano had only two games last year. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have the experience to... They just don't have the experience coming back. And hopefully they did well in spring and can come in right away and be the guy. But losing that that type of production, it's huge. I would say yes, but I'm also really fascinated, especially by the guy who's probably going to replace Darren Lee in the middle who, you know, saw kind of spot time as a freshman, you know, Tyson Maeva. You know, he had 19 tackles as a true freshman. He had a tackle for a loss. And he might be in the heart of this defense coming into 2017. And I think that that's really interesting that they may give him that kind of responsibility. Do we think that that's a good move? Who else do you got? That's my question. That's true. <laughs> who else is there going to step in? to play a middle linebacker because you lost the other guy who probably would could have been the starter was a Joe Martirano where he played almost as much as him as a Mavea at similar production overall played in fewer games than 12 to nine, but it would have been between those two guys and having both would have been great to have a competition of some sort, but it's probably going to be, it's going to be Mavea because like I said, there's nobody else there that's played middle linebacker besides Joe Provisano who played two games last year. Yeah, I just that's I was it. looking at the upperclassmen. Have exactly good, but... have one other guy that's listed as a middle linebacker. It, I think the defensive line can mask any issues for, at least early on for the linebacking group because the defensive line can slow get because it depends. What do they want the defensive line to do? Do they want it to just stuff the run or get to the quarterback? Because if you look what they did last year. There, I the defensive line was very good at getting behind the line of scrimmage and stopping the run running the game. Because Sam McCastle, who's gone, he had four amazing year, fourteen TFL, six and a half sacks. And David Moa, all who's back, or excuse me, yeah, he's back. Is he? Yeah, sorry, my eyesight is not good. Looking at this chart here, David Moa is back, and he had double digits um, TFLs. So if the offensive line or defensive line, excuse me, can get to the quarterback and stop and stop the running game early from allowing them to uh, bounce off for extra yards, but stop them behind the line of scrimmage, that's going to help the linebacking group overall because they weren't really asked to do that outside of the one uh, Darren Lee. That's it. Because usually you see it, linebackers usually have sacks, TFLs, not in this Boise State defense. And if they can keep that the same, that's fine. You just need the linebackers to wrap up and make tackles and maybe uh, cover a crossing route or a tight end from time to time. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Jabril Frazier to really step up his production. I think if he can become the kind of guy that Kamalai Correa was for the Broncos a couple of years ago, that's going to be a huge difference. Because if you go back to 2015, you know, Kamalai Correa was probably their best defender. He had 11 tackles for loss and seven sacks. And, you know, last year, as a sophomore, Frazier ended up with five and four, respectively. 
And I think if he can double those numbers and be a real force along that offensive line, that's going to make a huge difference. Because if you compare that up with what we think Moa can do in the middle, that's going to make that op- that defensive line really fierce. I believe with the NFL. I'm not sure where he's at now, but I think he's in Baltimore. He was like, sorry. Oh no, he got drafted. That's right. No, he, got, he not UDFA. He got drafted. That's right. Yeah, he's on Baltimore. So yeah, if, if you can get that type of production, who wouldn't want that on your team? But let's move to secondary, where for years, like we mentioned this in our show, where we talked about who do you want to come back for spring practice, and then if you look at who they've gotten drafted and picked up, like Dante Dion and other players as well, their defensive back is always backfield is always loaded with players. They lose two starters from last year. Also, Dylan Sumner-Gardner is no longer on the team. Not that he played a ton last year because he was suspended a bit, but he had some hype surrounding him. Because here's the guys they do lose that are big deal. Chancellor James and Jonathan Moxie, who is with um, also with Tampa Bay. Everybody's with Tampa Bay from Boise State. <laughs> Tyler Horton and uh, Cameron Hatsfield are the guys coming back. A lot of career starts, a lot of production. They also, one thing the defense does as well in the secondary, they also go after the quarterback as well. And if you look at, sorry, I'm trying to look at these numbers here, but they, like last year, they had what, almost, what's that, 12 TFLs? So they'll, they're not afraid to do a corner blitz or get guys to step up to help out. So again, this could be another way to help the linebacking group if the defense is just as aggressive last year as they are this year. One thing they do miss is... Jonathan Moxie's pass breakups where, oh, just had 13. That's all. No big deal. So here's, here's an interesting question for you. Now that DeMonte Casey's in the NFL, is Tyler Horton the best cornerback in the conference? Is Andrew Wingard a safety or cornerback? Andrew Wingard is a safety. Not, dang it. <laughs> I, I believe so because I'm trying to think. He had nine pass breakups last year. He was going to be my guy to mention. Like, he's the guy to anchor the secondary. Utah State's defense still recovering. There could be somebody from San Diego State who steps up. I should probably look at Athlon's all-conference team. But I, right now, I, I think it's yes is a safe answer because Air Force loses everybody in defense. CSU usually doesn't have a great secondary overall. Wyoming, like I said, safety for Wingard. UNLV, uh, usually not the case. But So, sure, I'll say yes. Because I think, you know, because last year there was a, there was a lot of expectation, you know, as kind of he was a four star guy, if I'm not mistaken. But I think he was every bit as good as advertised coming out of. Well, actually, excuse me, he started as a freshman and he was every bit as good as advertised. And last year, you know, maybe the interception number didn't jump off the page, but, you know, he followed up 12 pass defenses in 2015 with another nine in 2016. And. I think that, you know, that's a real asset, especially in a division that could have some very dangerous receivers like Michael Gallup or, um, you know, C.J. Johnson in Wyoming. What's gonna... Yeah. So what's going to be really interesting is who is the guy that starts opposite of him? Is it another one of those sophomores like DeAndre Pierce who steps up? Is it... I'm trying to figure out who else they have in the secondary. Um, 
I think we, whoever that second guy is going to be could be one of those could be one of those really subtle X factors that no one's thinking about right now. But again, I think this is an instance where you're talking about a position that has a lot of talent. Like Pierce was a three-star guy coming out of high school. Robert Lewis, who is on the roster, was a three-star guy. So they have some pedigree. They just need to find the guy who's going to step up and seize that job. Because I think if he can be, I don't know, 80% of what Horton is, they're going to have probably the best cornerback duo in the conference. Two things on that. I'll get. I'm looking at Athlon's because they're the only one that's out. So this is something we should kind of mention. For, we'll mention these time to time when Phil Steele comes out, when the official All Conference comes out. Looking at who they have on the secondary, there's only one. It's only Horton. That's it. Everybody else, like there's no other boy, safety. Otherwise, it's only Horton. Like the other cornerbacks, um, Andre Kashari or sorry, Chachari from San Jose State, Jalen Davis, Utah State. Forgot about him. Ron Smith or the pair of Wyoming guys, Rico Galford or Antonio Hull. But Horn's the first team. There's nobody else from Boise secondary otherwise besides Horton. But their freshman class could be pretty good because Jermarni Brown is their highest rated recruit out of any defensive back on the roster right now. Better than Tyler Horton was. So maybe it's him. Maybe Marquise Evans, who also had a better grade than uh, Horton coming out of high school. So maybe it could be one of those guys, Tyreek Jones, um, Kaniho, who I mentioned, he's also a freshman, going to be a safety most likely, I believe. He's rated pretty highly, so maybe they'll do some sort of rotation early on, but it could be one of these young guys who step in him right away, which is when they play Washington State early on, that'll be a big test. And I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, even though Horton may be the only preseason all-conference guy, I don't necessarily want to undersell Cameron Hartsfield either, because... You know, Chancellor James was pretty good last year, but I think Hartsfield was probably just as good back there in the secondary. And I think having him back there as a steadying presence is going to be a benefit too. Because the only difference, really, they be, they had nearly the – here's their numbers really quick. Tackles, 64.5 to 52, and that's a James there. Okay, tackles for DBs, whatever. TFLs were basically the same, 3.5 to 2. The big difference was between interceptions and pass breakups. James had three picks, whereas uh, Hartsfield had three breakups. And so that easily, they easily could have mirrored numbers had he caught those pass breakups instead of knocking them down. Their picks, there would be, he might be an all-conference player preseason with those interceptions. That's the only real difference, but INTs and pass breakups, to be honest, are pretty similar in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a correlation. Like, you know, if you get a lot of pass defenses, they tend to turn into a few interceptions the next time around or the next season. And so if you have a team, especially, you know, a guy like Horton, for example, who's shown a proficiency for playing really good pass defense, it wouldn't surprise me if he came down with like four or five balls. And if they had, you know, one or two other guys in that secondary who came down with two or three of their own. And I think if you're, if you're trying to paint the optimistic picture for this team, turnover luck, I think, is going to have a lot to do with it. Because one of the things I think that got overlooked in the narrative, in the kind of the pessimism that some Boise State fans have, is they were really unlucky last year. They ended up minus nine. And if that kind of regresses to the mean, if they're, you know, even if they're like minus one or minus two, 
that in itself could make a really big difference. Like if this team can get back to being, you know, one of the better ball hawking teams in the conference, that's I think where that's I think where my personal optimism comes from is their ability to do that because they have talent. It's just a matter of showing that they can do it. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal because they had overall, like I said, minus 9, minus 0.69 per game. That was only better than Fresno State. And they only had... And usually if you have a... I was just going to add that they only had seven interceptions as a team last year. Yeah, that was uh, near the bottom as well. You had Nevada, UNLV, and Fresno with five. And that was... Their big issue was fumbling the ball. And I was going to say, and that was after having 22 back in 2015. So if they split the difference, you know, if if they can, and oddly enough, they had 22 in 2014 as well. My point is, (laughs) if they could get back to, let's say, 15 or 16 interceptions, that can make a huge difference for a team that is probably going to be as potent on offense as it was a year ago. And with the ability to finish drives as well as they did a year ago, even despite the questions on offense. Do you want a fun fact here for Boise State in the Mountain West? I would West? love a fun fact. They've been in the league since 2012. Mm-hmm. They've only had one year of a negative turnover margin overall last year. Huh. 2012, they were plus 20, which is freaking amazing. They were plus 3 in 2013. 2014, they were plus 7. And then last year, they were plus 9. Interesting. So if they get back to being, not even that, if they get just a zero, like they're even across the board, and they were 10-2 at minus nine. Look who's at the negative here. Fresno, minus nine, had one win. Hawaii struggled for part of the year, finished 7-7, seven and seven, minus eight. Utah State finished with a losing record, minus five. If you can get right in the middle, but then again, you see San Jose State with minus one, where they weren't very good last year. UNLV was plus two and didn't make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. But for Boise State, if they're minus nine and still winning that many games, imagine if they were just zero on average. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you look at the what their turnover margin actually was versus what, according to Bill Connolly's numbers, they would expect it to be, there's a difference of eight turnovers on offense or, you know, eight, a combined eight turnovers between the offense and the defense. So if they can turn some of those pass defenses into interceptions, which I definitely think they can, that's when you're looking at a conference title contender. Ooh, t- big time talk. All right. We're done with the offense. Anything else we need to add? Do we need to – do you want to – any special teams notes you want to toss out our way? Or are we good on I that? I think we're pretty much okay on that. Let's do this. I'm parched. Let's take a quick timeout, and we'll come back with game-by-game results, our results in early May. All right. You ready for the schedule, Matt? Week – they're a week one team, not a week zero team. I was going to say something dramatic, but no. We, we can call <laughs> it week one, it. part two, because there are games before that. Yeah, or as ESPN like to say around this time, opening weekend. There we go. <laughs> Tried to fudge it, but uh, we're not going to dive too deep into these teams, really. Maybe a few nuggets here and there. Should we, since we didn't discuss this before, do we need to keep track of each and every game here for a record for posterity? Prosperity, I should say. Not well, prosperity. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I'm doing the same thing that I did last year. 
I have my ex I have my Excel sheet ready to go. Are you going to be to the extreme where while you're picking these games, you cross-reference so when we're talking Utah State, that you'll have the correct record in place or the from this earlier yes, show? Yes, that's exactly what I did last year, and I'm doing it again. Okay, I'm just, just saying. I'm just curious because I, I know I would go around and say this and that and say, oh, they, I have eight teams with seven wins or something <laughs> <laughs> throughout the league overall. I'm just curious what your process is. I will keep track as well, obviously. I definitely should. Let me update my spreadsheet here as well. But week one, not an easy matchup, really. They host Troy out of the Sun Belt. September 2nd, um, TBD on TV and everything so far. Troy's a team that's typically pretty pretty good in the Sun Belt and usually a uh, challenger for that conference. They definitely surprised and last year. They're, well, they have a new – isn't their coach in year three? They're, they're like the, was it Neil Brown, their head coach, yes. right? So being at home, this should be a victory, but we're not going to, like I said, we're not going to dive super deep in all these games, but this is a game where Troy can cause some surprises for Boise State. Yeah, I mean, just at a glance, what you're looking at with Troy is a really senior-heavy team on both sides of the ball. Like, they have a pretty good quarterback in Brandon Silvers, who's a dual-threat guy. He had four touchdowns rushing. You know, had about 4.6 yards per carry, but also had 23 touchdowns through the air. But, you know, he's not the only guy. They have a senior running back, you know, Jordan Chun, who had 1,300 yards. They've got, you know, guys on defense. Senior, <laughs> senior receiver. Yeah, senior. Emmanuel Thompson, 80 receptions back. Yeah, senior. They've got, like, three or four guys on their defensive line who are seniors. So, I mean, this is a, an experienced team that – is not going to be afraid of showing up at Albertson Stadium. But that being said, I still like Boise's chances, even with the questions on both sides of the ball. I think that the talent base with Boise is still, you know, a little bit above what Troy has to offer. So if you're asking me now, I would say Boise's probably going to get a little bit of a fight, but I think that they're definitely good enough to pull away late. Sure. There's also one other player, Jamarius uh, Henderson, Memphis transfer. He, you know, is that Mem- okay? Memphis, Detroit. That's a slight upgrade. He sat out last year at over 300 yards as a freshman out in Memphis. So that's just another experienced guy. And the offense they're saying could be better than their 34 points per game last year. And that's where this Boise defense, which loses, like we mentioned, all the linebackers, half their secondary. And with Henderson being a one-two punch, he had a 51-yard during the spring game, and Coach Neal wants wants to have a more consistent running game. And they want to defend the pass better. That's a couple of notes he mentioned from spring. So defending the pass better should be music to uh, Chaz um, or Wilson, um, oh, geez, Cedric Wilson's ears and Brett Rippon sling the ball. This is going to be a shootout, I'm telling you. This is going to be like first one to 50 is going to win this game. I don't know if I'd go that far. I would say first to thirty. I, I would I would go maybe like you know thirty to twenty one or something okay. like that. Troy's going to give some a lot of teams a lot of fits in twenty seventeen, but I think that Boise State's good enough to beat them. ESPN's FPI gives Boise State a pretty solid seventy five percent chance to win this game. I think that's a, that's a bit high. Mm-hmm. What does a Bill C have in his prediction? Uh, Bill puts it at eighty percent. Hmm. 
Boise should win because they went undefeated at home last year. And they're predicting, like, Bill Connolly, 14-point victory for Boise, which I can see that we're in the way late where it's, way late where it's, way late where it's uh, ex- exchanging touchdown field goal, touchdown field goal, something like that, where it's, like, 14-6 to six, and then maybe 21-13, to 28-16, something like that. But this is not, like, yeah. people like, oh, Boise, they ignore, they play, they'll play teams like Washington. They'll go play out in the uh, Chick-fil-A Classic and SEC team playing Oregon at home. It's not on that level, but this is still a team where if they're not ready, they could lose this game. But are we both saying yes. a victory 1-0 for the Broncos? I, I am as well. My eyes did not just copy, 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 did not just copy and paste from FB schedule. So week two, this is the big game. Last they did. Oh, geez, my internet's going. Geez, my internet's going crazy here. They're playing Washington State week two. Luke Falt versus Luke Falt versus Brett, Rip, Brett Rippin will be one of the best quarterback matchups in the country. Like not not necessarily that week, but out of guys who could potentially be in the NFL and for numbers are pretty up, this is one of the best quarterback matchups all year to see. And and Washington State, we're eventually talk, we at some point talk to the guys from Cook yeah. Center. They lose a couple of their top receivers, and that's going to be an issue for them as well. Yeah, but I think, you know, with a guy like Luke Falk going into his senior year at the helm of one of the most potentially potent offenses, even losing a couple of guys at receiver in the country, you know, Boise State's going to have to be ready for this one, and they're definitely going to need those young guys in the secondary to step up because, you know, we know Horton's going to be good. We know Hartsfield's going to be solid. But those other guys are still going to have to account for guys like Tavares Martin or, you know, Isaiah Johnson, Mack, or Robert Lewis or whoever ends up in that wide receiver well, rotation. You got to be seven deep, though. The bright side is that they'll probably be able to exactly. score a lot of points. Mike Leach's defense usually isn't all there. So. What uh, my internet's being awkward here. What is the projection from Bill Connolly for this game? It's a Boise State victory, right? I believe or close. It is a fifty-fifty proposition. It is. It's at Pullman. You can't get closer than this. Besides fifty-fifty, he goes even one step further. I got it here. Point one projected projected margin of victory for Boise State. Yeah. Point one. How do you see this one playing out then? If it's if they're because last year Boise looked to be pretty good in the first half, it was the second half where there was issues, or they decided to not give the ball to their best running back in a long time, McNichols. They decided to throw, throw, throw the ball because that was an issue a lot with Boise last year. Maybe that was a thing of Zach Hill being the OC, but they wanted to throw the ball quite a bit and all the time, whereas running the ball would have been perfectly fine. See, I think this is probably a first to forty situation. Did you see what ESPN's FPI projection of this I have game not, is? No. Boise State is given a seventeen. I'm gonna double check this, but seventeen and a half percent chance of winning, meaning they have Wazoo as a huge favorite in this game. Huge favorite. Okay, so so here's how I see it. <laughs> interesting i like boise's offensive potential and if you asked me to put money on either one of these defenses i would definitely trust boise state before i trusted in washington state 
And so if it were me, I would say Boise State would win this game too. One thing to note is when we look at all the early preseason magazines or like the Mark Slaybach, Dennis Dodd, those type of uh, top 25s, most of them have Boise and Washington in that 20 to 25 range. So this could be a matchup, which would be great. Two top 25 teams facing off week two. But I, I'm going to lead toward Boise State, not because of being any sort of homer. Washington State, Washington State has historically, the past couple of years, started slowly. They lost to Eastern Washington last year. They lost to Boise State and the end of the season on a three-game losing streak. That's true. So I'm going to – I think Boise can get the win, but I'm surprised that the ESPN FPI is overwhelmingly in favor of Wazoo. I don't – that's a big difference because when you look at Bill Connolly, F, S, F, S&P Plus – or excuse me, F&P Plus or <laughs> – his advanced numbers, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going crazy tonight. They're pretty – they're not too far off between what ESPN has FPI compared to between the two. So that disparity means this game is uh, going to be interesting, but 2-0 for the Broncos. 2-0. You know what's funny? Here's another fun fact. Second year in a row that Bill Connolly had this game at 50-50. Ooh. That is a good fact. That's a good one there. Excellent find. I want to see. Well, hold on. Let me see what ESPN has last year. I want to check what theirs was because it was 17.5% for Wazoo last year. It was a uh, basically almost the same. I don't have the number percentage here, but it mentions a 14-point victory for Wazoo as a projection. And this year it's um, 11.7. So probably, what's that, probably 25% toward Wazoo last year. So, But the 50-50, I like that better. All right. All right. Next week, this game always kills me. <laughs> Hosting New Mexico. Football Bob hosting them. Or no, excuse me, going to the blue turf again. They beat Boise last time on the blue turf. They got crushed last year. I have to go Boise State again because New Mexico loses my favorite player in Terrion Gibson last year. Mm-hmm. And I trust Bill Connolly with a 91% victory percent percent chance. See Why not? They have no – New Mexico's defense is – come on. And that was going to be what I said. Like, my concern is not so much that they're losing Gibson because we'll get to New Mexico at some point. They've got, like, a bajillion running backs. To me, the bigger concern is the fact that they're replacing – the bigger concern for me is the fact that they're replacing so many key parts on defense. Like, they're they're losing Nick Dilbonzo. They're losing Dakota Cox. They're losing Donnie White. You know, three of their top four tacklers, a linebacker. And they're also losing – you know, four of their top tacklers in the secondary. They're basically, you know, losing just about everybody who contributed, you know, a fair amount in that secondary from last year. And I think if you're Boise State, you should be licking your chops at getting to face a relatively untested New Mexico defensive backfield. All right, let's just go quick here. That's a victory right there. There might be some points for New Mexico. They do have Lamar Jordan back as their quarterback again. They're bringing in some transfers. They're actually looking at another Juco guy. Maybe signed by the time we talk about the Lobos, but I got to go all Boise State because last year Same. their dominant victory, and they don't want to be embarrassed to get at home. So. Next game, this should be another victory here. We need to hurry this long. We're at 57 minutes here. 57 minutes. All right. So next time, the uh, next game is uh, – playing the Hoos, Virginia, at home. 
Friday, September 22nd, <laughs> UVA went t- won two games last year. Okay. They're terrible. Um, they, they are. They are. They have uh, Bronco, Mendenhall, Bronco Mendenhall as their head coach, year two. And he brought basically everybody from BYU with him, which as a coach, that's kind of an issue. This quote does not give me any confidence UVA is going to win this game. Here's from, from Bronco Mendenhall. Our team is going to look significantly different in the fall with 30 new players joining us. And that's before you count walk-ons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, their problem is probably going to be the kind of problems they had last year on offense because who's their quarterback going to be? You know, they have one guy, I think, I was going to say, I think they have one guy who's a senior, uh, Kurt Benker, who, you know, he was you know, okay, but not any real great shakes. And I think, you know, if you're going to beat Boise, you're going to have to score points. And I don't know that Virginia is up to that task. So I feel like the Broncos are going to win this one pretty handily. They should. Also, it should not It should be noted that when your top returning player is a halfback, they have Olmadide as Zacchaeus. Zach, they don't list his rushing yards. They list his receiving yards. <laughs> so, no, it's... UVA's been terrible. They do have Ruffin McNeil on staff, which is pretty cool. Um, ben Kurtz, a transfer from ECU. So that's where he came from last year. He probably followed Ruffin McNeil along. And so... Well, he played... No, excuse me. He played last year as well. Sorry, I apologize about that. He is former ECU transfer, but they're going to win. They'd, like, if you, One thing to note where it could be interesting, Bronco Mendenhall, who we've seen enough when they BYU plays Boise or Utah State... His defense is usually pretty good, but that's probably the one area. So if they can turn over margin and keep it close that way, that's how they could make this game be more competitive. So that puts me at Boise State 4-0 at the bye week. Then they go to BYU Friday, October 6th. And this is a really interesting game. It is. It's a ESPN game already, that late 8 mountain time kick. It's um, it's at BYU, which means the um, Cougars are going to be favored, which when you look at ESPN, FPI, they give Boise only a 38% chance of winning. As oh, Sorry, that's the same one. Sorry. Bill Connolly has a the opposite thing, 53% victory for Boise State. So with BYU, they sort of have a returning quarterback in Tanner Mangum. He didn't play last year because Taysom Hill – they inexplicably gave him the start back, his job back. I will say that. Um, well, he was he was okay. Let's not let's not disparage Taysom Hill too much. No, I'm, that's what I mean. Like he, Mangum is a better passer. I, I'll say that flat out for sure. And no, but Hill Hill okay. Hill's not a bad player. But as for a quarterback, yeah, Mangum is a better quarterback. And here's the thing: where this will be a good by this point in the season, we should know who the secondary is for Boise State and BYU. I follow them closely as well. Their wide receiving core, garbage. Sorry, not very good. Well, it's interesting because BYU and Boise State, just at a glance, like, you know, quarterbacks aside, seem almost to be kind of a mirror image of one another on offense. Like, they're both replacing very productive running backs, and they're both replacing, at least in BYU's case, the Cougars were replacing their top three pass receivers from last year. And those weren't very good players out there, sorry saying it no so then it's no big deal <laughs> well, not just that defense is where 
anything with BYU. They're really good. Kalani Satake for who he has guys like um, yeah, like Butch Powell, linebacker, Francis Bernard, linebacker. Uh, we get Fred and Troy Warner, secondary linebacker guys. are all, all really good defenders. But like you said, losing Jamal Williams, who's with the Packers now, got drafted alongside Devontae Mays with that teammate Aaron Jones from UTEP, they don't have a starting running back. They, it's likely going to be this guy um, I think it's like Canada, but they don't have a starting running back right now. I think it's more significant that they're losing so much production up front in their front four. And I think that if you're Boise State, this is an opportunity to really establish the running game. No, you're right. There's guys like um, they lose Seitao too. And there's this guy, who is it? Um, Travis Tulioma, Mayor, should be back with the team, but he's been hurt a lot. Yeah, the defensive line is an issue. Linebacker, this is probably the best linebacking group Boise will play all year. Pretty confident in that. That's maybe, fair to say. maybe San Diego State, Wyoming, well, and Logan Wilson there. They have some good linebackers, but overall, this is probably the best one I can pretty confidently say. But the offense, like, it's like here's the thing with the offense. They're moving away from, we don't, I don't want to go too much in this game because we'll talk about BYU a lot, but with Ty Detmers, their OC, it's more of a pro style offense. So not what we've seen in the past with like four, three, five, three to five wide receivers from BYU with Tasty Millen shotgun a lot. They're under under center, being a pro style attack. So, but Tanner Mangum, we saw if you watched the Poinsettia Bowl, he didn't look very good. Weather was an issue, but he just didn't look very good. But he's going to be a guy who can throw the ball again. I think it's come back to me as if they can run the ball because they have Squally Canada who was went to Washington State, also a Boise commit at some point during his career. They don't have a running back. They may play three guys who you're a passing running back. You're a guy who's going to get the ball on first down. You're going to be a blocking running back. They don't know who their starter is. Offensive line loses a couple guys as well. But the one receiver is Jordan Trudeman, who's super fast and speedy. That's their big threat. But they don't have very many guys downfield to throw the ball. So this is where the secondary for Boise, not that it could take a night off a little bit, but they could focus on other areas. And mm-hmm. I swear I think the Boise defense could have a pretty big game because BYU, they're trying to get the tight end back again. They don't really have a tight end. They just got uh, Moroni, uh, MLP they call him. It's Moroni Lalu Pachete. He's going to be a tight end. But they, mm-hmm. it's good. It's the only, the only intri- intrigue really for offense. It's going to be different than what they've seen last year. So that could be where BYU has an edge. But no running back. No starter, no not a great receiver receiving group. Offensive lines replacing a bunch of guys despite Athlon Sander a top twenty five O line. I think this is a game where Boise's defense needs to have a big game because the offense well, look at what happened last year. Look at all the turnovers Boise had and they still barely won the game. They weren't they minus six and one last year, I believe. Can we guarantee that BYU won't punt from or won't run fake punts from their own end zone in this <laughs> that game? That was again? the best thing ever. Um, I'm pretty sure Kalani Sataki is not going to do that again. I hope that they burned all copies of that part of the playbook. It's, I remember the reason why they did that, because we know last year's Boise's um, field position wasn't great for the, mm-hmm. either side of the ball. What they said, and it's actually true, like, oh, we see something in Boise's uh, special teams, which you might, great, but there's never a play fourth and nineteen from your own one that's worth running. Outside, yeah, you don't even do that in like NCAA nope, fourteen. You don't do that in Madden unless it's like your final play of the game. No, you don't do that. But that 
Also, two things to look out for. Is there going to be a nut punch and a crazy play like that? (laughs) (laughs) So who are you taking in this game? It's at, remember, it's at BYU. I mean, I like this game to be close, just like it has been in the last few years. But, I mean, I like like Boise here, too. So I've got them winning. Man, I... From what I've said, you'd think this would be a blowout for me for Boise State, right? <laughs> from from what I've been going with. But they're a similar position as with the quarterback. Like, so they, they're very similar QBs, in my opinion. They both lose a lot of talent on the outside. The quarterback's going to make this team. I'm going to say Boise will get the victory because... And, and I know it's week six, so they'll have a running back put in place and everything. But here's my main reason why I'm going for Boise State to win. If you look who BYU plays before, they have LSU and University of Utah and Wisconsin the weeks prior. So they're going to be pretty beat up going into this game. So that's why I'm going to go Boise State for the victory. So are we both 5-0 at this point? I think we are. we need to hustle through here. We're an hour nine. Sorry. Well, sorry, not sorry, because we talked football for a long time. But it's a – hope you have a long commute, commute, folks. So, all right, the next big game – jeez, these guys – I like their schedule. They go to San Diego State. Finally, we get to see this game. Finally, after years and years of Aztecs dominating the league and wanting a piece and wanting to claim Boise State's crown, we could see them for one of the final times. This could be the very last time at Qualcomm Stadium for this team. Could be, yeah. I don't want to get into that because it's a mess, what's going down there in San Diego, but this might be my favorite game of the year for Boise State. Definitely. They haven't played. Who who won the last time these two teams played? Was it um, San Diego State? Because they won back-to-back games, right? In 2014, the last time they played, Boise won 38-29. Okay. I must be thinking of a different one. The one before at home. But this... Twenty. Yeah, you're thinking of 2013. When they yeah. beat them on the blue with a special teams, why they beat Boise State. So you got the, uh, obviously, defending Mountain West champs, the 22 wins the past two years in San Diego State. We don't need to go too much because we're going to talk about guys like Richard Penny, Juwan Washington, Christian Chapman. And sorry, Aztec fan, Chapman's not a first four-team quarterback at all. He might not even be top six, in my opinion. And that's where this game could be won or lost, is if how well they're going to run the ball, which they should run the ball very well anyways for the Aztecs, even though they lose guys like Nico Saragusa and the best running back yardage-wise ever in Donald Pumphrey. Yeah, I mean, I think that what you see is what you can get with the Aztecs, you know, this coming fall as it has been in the last couple of years. I feel like this is the kind of game that could devolve into a rock fight on both sides <laughs> of the ball. But but honestly, I, even with all the key pieces that the Aztecs are losing on defense, I still like them to win this game at home. And so I have Boise losing this game. I can see that as a possibility. Wouldn't surprise me. Here's a couple notes because we'll get to these, these games later again. Aztecs lose four offensive linemen. Big deal. Depth at quarterback is an issue. Chapman barely participated in spring. You have Ryan Agnew as the backup. They brought in Ryan Lindley to help out. They lose Calvin Munson. They lose um, Alex Barrett. They lose Devontae Casey. So they lose a lot on defense, but they should be fine. But on the road, I got to say the way the Boise schedule, I'm with you. I think Aztecs are going to get this victory on the road. Or excuse me, I mean, at home, sorry. Yeah. This this schedule's look at this after the bye week. They get at BYU, at San Diego State, hosting Wyoming. 
Safety dance again? Come on. We got to have that back, right? <laughs> as much as I love the safety dance, oh, I think on, Boise State should, should win that game against Wyoming. They're at they're at home. Like we'll or at home against yeah, Wyoming. Yeah, no, sorry. Okay. They're at home, and like I said, we we don't need to double up on all these games. But just a couple quick notes. Obviously, we mentioned Josh Allen earlier in the show. Number one quarterback uh, versus number two Allen two, according to Athlon, likely be the case. They lose Tanner Gentry. They lose Chase Relay center. Um, sophomore um, my little Hall will be the number one running back. Looks like to replace to potentially replace uh, Brian Hill. Logan Wilson was the freshman of the year. Andrew Wingard, stud, could be an All-American this year. It's a... I don't want to break down the game too much, but Boise State's given... I think their 77% chance to win this game by ESPN is uh, way overblown. Because Bill C has that... Well, he's even higher, 81%. I think that's way too high. See, I think one thing that you'll probably want to watch by the time this game rolls around is the fact that, you know, we talked about Boise's not returning that much production on the defensive side of the ball. On the other hand, Wyoming is fourth among FBS teams in returning production on defense. So I think if they're going to keep the game close, you know, the young guys who stepped into the limelight last year, like Logan Wilson and Johanna Guyfan, are going to have to step up and play big. But again, I think that they might be losing enough on offense that Boise State can make up that difference. Yeah, I'm with you there as well because these defenders for Wyoming have been the guys since their two years ago where they were just awful on defense. These guys finally come into their own. I think the defense can keep a minute, but I trust Boise State, what they've done historically, to be able to win this game on offense. Yeah. All right, really quick. Next game at Utah State. Um, can we just go victory real quick? Or do you have any thoughts on Utah State? I mean, I think, like I said, we'll get into this later. I think Utah State will be better, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to beat Boise. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And just the numbers really quick. ESPN gives Boise a 72% chance to win and Bill Connolly a 68% chance, probably because it's on the road. And the Aggies losing, um, Rayshard Lewis is a big deal. And we'll see what their offense is with new OC uh, David Yost coming in. So that's a victory. Then Nevada, another another rival game. I'm I think I'm predicting too many victories here. Is that are we predicting too many victories? Because I think they'll beat Nevada, just because I don't think their defense is going to step up and be good enough this year. Plus Nevada at this point, we don't know who their quarterback is going to be. Whether it's going to be Cromwell from the Alabama transfer, or be a uh, oh shoot, who's on the team last year? And, um, Sorry, Ty Gange. I want to say somebody else. Ty, I want to say Tyler Stewart or Ty Gange, who did okay. But I got to say, at home, what Nevada's done, they do have James Butler, pretty good running back. But with the air raid, they're going to probably run with Hal Mummy or Matt Mummy and Jay Norville. I got to say, Boise's still going to be victorious in this matchup at home. Yeah, I mean, I think Nevada's going to have a lot of work to do in 2017. So this is the kind of game where I think Boise should be able to you know, blow the wolf pack out. 92% chance victory by Bill Connolly. And that might be low. <laughs> might be low? Yeah. Wow. ESPN has them 86%. All right, next game is at CSU. Is this the year Colorado State finally upends Boise State? 
I mean, they almost did it last year, right? They needed a lot of help, though. Those onside kicks uh, in second half after that weather was uh, kind of cleared up a little bit. Is this the? Here's a better question: Is this the game that decides the Mountain Division? Ooh, look at the schedule. Very possibly, because it's. Uh, eh, I could. See, I, I'd have to look at the other schedules, but I think so because. Who else is going to be in the division? I don't think Wyoming's going to be contention for the division this year. And Air Force loses mm-hmm. so much, they'll be struggling. So I will say yes. I remember my impression of the game last year is that Colorado State lost it more than Boise State won it. Well, I remember they were down, I think, 21-3, to weren't they? I mean, it was a one-score game in the end. I just remember that the Rams got off to a really slow start in the first half. And Boise State did just enough to kind of hold them off. Well, CSU had all those onside kicks at the end. I think they had to recover a couple. And that final one came up short. But looking back, like, yeah, it was 28-23. And it was was the third quarter. No, the first half was a mess because there's, I think, rain and inclement weather. Then it ended up being... uh, 14 Boise scored 21 in the road to go up 21 3. So that's what it was. That third quarter is where Broncos pulled away. And I don't know because every time, like, Rams, like, this is our year, we're going to beat them. Rams have never, besides this past year, have never been close to beating Boise State ever. And this is probably their best chance to do so. They get them at home, they get them at their new stadium. They are favored to win this game when you look at, um, well, FPI gives them a gives the Rams a 54% chance to win. Bill Connolly gives Boise a 52% chance to win. And if you recall, my stupid upset early pick for a conference champion was Colorado State last year, or back in January. I like I like Colorado State in this game. I'm just going to come out and say it. So we hate Boise State this year? Let's <laughs> <laughs> oh, not go that far. No, I'm, I, I'm kidding. I... I will say I'll I'll give them a victory now for CSU because their second half was amazing. Assuming Nick Stevens d- did what he did last second half, they're they have talent. They um oh my phone's going crazy. Sorry. They have like the best running back group in the conference. They have Nick Stevens is a in my opinion as good as Brett Rippon or Josh Allen production wise in, in the Mountain West. They return one of the best receivers, a Michael Gallup Sr. Um, like I said, running backs, they bring back a couple. Um, and Izzy Dawkins, uh, or Dalen Dawkins, Izzy Matthews. And then even the uh, towards ACL last year, he may be back some point this year in uh, Marvin Kinsey. They do lose Kevin Davis, but every other starter is basically back, has at least one career start. So give me the Rams and Mike Bobo with the victory for the first time ever in the Mountain West over Boise State. All right. All right. Air Force. Um, Boise has to snap their losing streak, right? Do they? <laughs> I like how you question it. Do they have to? I think so. Okay, so this maybe this is my stupid upset pick then, because I have Air Force winning this game again. You do? Oh. Uh... I feel like Arian Worthman as the quarterback, and even though Air Force loses a ton of talent, they're still going to be a team where they're going to be fine what they do offensively. 
I just think they can't keep up on on the defensive side of the ball. Lose Weston Stillhammer, Ryan Watson. They lose a lot of players on this team. They do have Tim McVeigh on offense was a pretty big deal. And Air Force was six and zero with Worfman when he played last year. I just think the defense losses. I know this is the end of the season. Is this their uh, final game? Correct? No, not yet. It's game eleven of twelve. We'll know who they are, but I don't think Air Force can get them this year because defense. See, personally, I feel like even if the defense isn't quite as good as it was last year, the fact that the Falcons are losing so much at key positions, if it were any other team, I feel like it would be more of a big deal than it is for a place like the service academies where they're always losing tons of guys every year. So even if the guys that are stepping in for guys like Steel Hammer and you know Grody Hicks and Ladipo in the secondary aren't quite as efficient with forcing turnovers, if there's still a bend but don't break defense, the offense is still good enough to drop forty on just about anybody in a given week. And given you know Boise State's struggles in the last few years against the triple option, you know if Worthman is as good as advertised, which I am optimistic about at the moment. I feel like that's the recipe for an upset. I think that's a possibility as well, because I know they always lose players, but I think they're losing extraordinarily more than normal. But again, it's week 12. They'll they're Everybody's played. You have experience. There's not, you're not pulling anybody at this point. Yeah. So I'm still going to say Boise is going to win because not just the numbers, but 84% from FPI, 86 or excuse me, 92 from Bill Connolly. So, Boise with the victory. And then, can I just say verse Fresno W and we're done with the show? See you next time. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can go ahead and do that. <laughs> Any chance for Fresno real quick? Anything you optimistic about? It is the final game of the year, so Jason <sighs> Virgil may have that experience under his belt to um, sling it for 250 and run for another 85. That assumes they can keep him on his feet. Oh, yeah, got to be upright to make some plays, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll just leave it at that. I feel like Boise's going to win that one pretty handily. Yeah, it's a um, just just because I mentioned every time. So this is interesting. They are given Boise's given a not as good chance to beat Fresno on the road compared to beating Air Force at home. That's weird math. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand how that worked out. Home road. I don't know. I think part of it is with these advanced numbers because Air Force is ranked one sixteen in um, the S and P plus. They weigh heavily on production returning and if you're losing I believe nine starters on defense that's going to ding you quite a bit mm-hmm. alright yeah, so, so that's our Boise State preview these shows are probably going to be 90 minutes I'll just tell you now <laughs> they're probably going to be 90 minutes <laughs> At 85 minutes in we'll tell you that it's going to be 90 minutes <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> if, you made, if you made it this far please put the number 7 in the comments or tweet us with number 7 I don't know why I made that up just because so if you go that far, give us a comment or tweet or Facebook message of seven. And so what was your projection? I have Boise State going ten and two. I have them at nine and three. So I think we we both had Aztecs loss, Colorado State loss, and you had Air Air Force loss, right? Yeah. Let's do one quick thing, super quick, because I know we're running long here. Is there is there what's their best case scenario? Is it what we always say undefeated is best case? Yeah, I mean they were this close to being undefeated last year. 
and if things break their way in a way that it didn't last year, it's well within the realm of possibility. Because remember, you know, aside from the the loss to Baylor in the bowl game, like, you know, they lost, you know, by one touchdown to Air Force, if I'm not mistaken. And who was their other one? <laughs> I think they lost like both of their games by one score, right? Yeah, I, I should have that in front of me. That'd be a nice first step. I know it was the Air Force because there was that uh, fumble or run play they tried to do and lost the ball. The other loss was uh, Wyoming. Yeah, the safety dance. Come on, 30-28. to 28. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I, was, I, I closed the tab. So. Yeah, one but of yeah, your 20 so tabs I'm, you had open. <laughs> the one. Yeah. So, you know, the narrative in the last couple of years, like I said at the very beginning, could be very different if not for a handful of plays. And so I feel like when you're talking about the floor versus the ceiling of this team, it's probably more the same. Like if the young guys can step up and be, you know, 80% as productive as the guys that they're replacing, like Spurbeck and McNichols and stuff like that, you know, this team has more than enough weapons on offense to make up for whatever questions they might have on defense. And if the defense can force a few more turnovers. There you go, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's our preview for Boise State, our first of 12. We'll have all, yes, we will preview all 12 teams. Let us know. Tweet at us. Uh, Facebook message us. Who do you want to hear from us or what team do you want to hear us blabber about for 90 minutes next? You have 11 options, and quite frankly, I'm disappointed in the turnout for voting today. I'm saying it right now. More voting, please. <laughs> Choose who we want Another to have. Step it up. A lot of, we had a lot of write-ins for Wyoming, and people are also like, hey, why is Fresno on the list? Well, a lot of people want to go worse from first, so that's why they're they're in there for our most recent poll. But check us out on Facebook, Mount West Connection, mwcconnection.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube. Give us a review, blogtalkradio.com. Like I said at the beginning, give us tell four tell not four friends, tell one friend and maybe another friend as well. We want to grow the listener listenership into the hundreds of thousands. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that would be amazing. Actually, we'd like to consistently get a good number of people to listen to. I'm not giving away all our secrets of how many people listen to us, but we would like to double that number soon. That would be nice. I think that's a reasonable goal. It's the off season. We made it. We're getting closer to making it, I say. Any final thought, thoughts, Matt? Are we uh, good to wrap this 90-minute show up here? I think we are good to go. All right, and as always, yeah, we're biased to get your team, folks. <laughs>